Hey, it's Amino Hassan, and you're listening to the Sun's Solar Panel Podcast. And welcome to the Phoenix Suns Solar Panel Podcast. We're still dealing with a bit of technical difficulties, if you will. But regardless, here we have today, Mr. Dave King joining joining us on the show because you missed last week, buddy. I missed on Wednesday. I sure did. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Uh, but you guys had a great episode, so you didn't really miss me. Well, it's debatable whether it was great. We always miss you, Dave. I'm lying through my teeth. <laughs> About the great episodes without no, me? Yeah, about, you are. Uh, about missing yeah. you. <laughs> uh, so this is cool. I'm, I'm watching, and, and of course, Espo. Everybody knows who he is. You can't, you can't miss Espo. You can, but you don't. <laughs> uh, so Dave, you wrote an article on Bright Side of the Sun where you were talking about whether or not playoff experience matters. Yes, this is partly what I stumbled through last Saturday before I had written the article. I hadn't done all the research, so um, I'm going to be a little bit more more coherent this time. Uh, in five and a half years with Ryan McDonough, which is six off seasons, five full seasons, Ryan McDonough as the general manager, um, he only acquired one way or another. He only acquired six players in six off seasons who had previously started in a playoff game or had significant playoff experience. I gave me, I even gave him credit for Jared Dudley, who'd never started a playoff game, but had made a huge difference on the 2010 team for the Suns. And I gave him credit for Greg Monroe, who was a throw-in in the Eric Bledsoe trade, uh, who only played for the Suns for three months, but at least got into their rotation. Um, if you take those two out, Ryan McDonough acquired a grand total of four players in his six off-seasons, who had done anything in the playoffs as a starter. Uh, Leander Barbosa, Tyson Chandler, Trevor Ariza, and Ryan Anderson. Not one of those players was still in his prime by the time Ryan McDonough acquired them. So they may have started in the playoffs. They may have had an impact on a playoff team, but they were all on the last legs of their careers. And uh, Trevor Ariza did just sign with Sacramento Kings, but they will find out just like the Wizards did last year and the Suns before them that Ariza is really washed up. So that's Ryan McDonough's record. He, he just drafted guys and he brought in guys who were bef uh, earlier, too early in their careers or too late in their careers. That was just his motto. That was the way he was going about business. And guess what? The Suns went through four straight seasons of winning 24 or fewer games, and he lucked into his winning season. Um, so James Jones has decided to do the exact opposite. James Jones, in just one off season, has acquired seven players who have started at least one playoff game, six of whom are still on this year's staff. Um, so this six of whom are still on this year's roster, RIP Jamal Crawford. Uh, and they're all still in their prime or uh, just about to enter their prime, except for Aaron Baines, who's 32 and on the backside of his career. So I really think that um, James Jones really does think that playoff experience matters when you're putting guys around young draft picks who don't know how to win. Devin Booker's never played a meaningful playoff game. DeAndre Ayton and Mikel Bridges and Elliot Kobo were all rookies last year. So let's put some veterans around them, but young veterans who aren't on the backside of their careers and can't play basketball anymore. 
Well, I mean, let's not act like it's it's some uh, genius formula here. I mean, it makes sense that experience <laughs> helps youth. I mean, it's not rocket science, and the fact that they didn't do it. Uh, well, if it's not rocket science, why didn't Ryan McDonough ever do because it? Because there's a, there is a, there is a thought that they were always tanking on on purpose to get higher draft picks. So if you don't want to wind up in the middle of the lottery. You don't add those kind of guys that are going to necessarily make you marginally better. And so I don't think it was necessarily right, but without that kind of a theory, you don't wind up with with DeAndre Ayton or that number one pick. You wind up with the 11th pick or the 12th pick, very much where we were during the Lance Blanks era. We saw a lot of veterans uh, on those Lance Blanks teams that, that had – experience and they wound up a, a middling uh middle of the road kind of uh of, of franchise so i don't know no, 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 but lance blanks's guys were on the, either on the back side of their career or toward the end i mean uh, who did he acquire michael beasley you know i mean come on he didn't bring in guys who had I, had been successful in the playoffs I, i'm just the the point being you could argue the strategy in those four years was to lose in a way that that assured that you had top draft picks now what you did with those top draft picks uh that's a different story they obviously failed in finding top talent outside of Aiton and Booker was a was an anomaly at 13 so uh so I I get it and we can we're obviously going to rehash what what Ryan McDonough did or didn't do for the rest of this offseason because there's not a lot to talk about but it's not it's not a stroke of genius to add guys with with experience and playoff experience to a young roster in hopes of them getting better and i think it's the smart thing to do and james jones is doing it because guess what he had a lot of playoff experience he only missed the playoffs i believe once as a player so yeah. it's so obviously it's coming from uh, coming from his his own experience in, in building a roster so i totally I totally get it, but let's not act like it's it's some a brilliant concept. It's just something that hasn't no, I'm been not done. Saying it. I'm not yeah. saying it's a brilliant concept. I, all I guess I'm saying is that that is like the only thing. He, the one of the, it's got to be one of the primary factors of the guys he's acquired in the past year. That's seven of the eight guys he's brought in. The only one who hasn't started in the playoffs is Sheck Diallo. And that dude's only 22, and he's a third third layer uh, on the big men on either of the big men depth charts. So, I just think that that was a theme that James Jones was going to bring in an entire roster besides those four young guys that had playoff experience, not just the ones or twos that Brian McDonough used to bring in for the token culture. Is all I'm saying. And these guys aren't like savants. I'm not talking about 10 year playoff veterans. I'm talking guys who are in their third or fourth seasons in the NBA. They've been to one or two playoffs. They, they just know what it takes. They have an idea of what it takes to be a winning basketball team. Even the, the rookies he brought in, Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome, both made the Elite Eight in the past year. And Ty Jerome obviously won the championship. So these guys know what it takes to win basketball games. Mikel Bridges a year ago, remember Ryan McDonough was so famously over, overridden in the draft room. I really don't think it was Robert Sarver himself who said, oh, my God, I love Mikel Bridges. I'm guessing it was James Jones, judging by James Jones's later moves, that Mikel Bridges is the exact kind of guy that he wants to bring in. So I just think I'm not saying that 
he's trying to make them a playoff team. What I'm saying is he's trying to bring in guys who know how what it takes to win basketball games. No, and I think it's the right strategy. I'm I, I'm not disagreeing in, in that way, and and I don't think he hid that that's what he wanted to do either. I think he made it pretty clear that that was was what part of his secret sauce in getting this team back to respectability was. Now, I. I, it makes them better. I mean, you look at this roster, and unless you're extremely self-loathing, uh, you realize it's a better roster than they've had in a while. So, uh, and and I, hopefully, it has a great impact on DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker moving forward. That these guys learn the right ways to play, the right way to win. It gets the right mentality. Uh, there for these guys to set the foundation moving forward. And that's that's got to be what James Jones uh, is trying to instill here with the roster he's built. Well, and that brings up a earlier quote that uh, James Jones had said to Devin Booker something along the lines of, it's your guys' job to get better, and it's our job to put a better team around you. Yeah, and it's true. Right. Yeah, this is all this is all on Booker and Aiden, but at least Booker and Aiden are being put in position to succeed. It's been all on Booker for years. It's been all on Aiden all last year. Now they're actually being put around guys who can help them su- surrounded by guys who can help them succeed and do the right things. So so Booker can see what playing winning basketball looks like. Uh, David Griffin was doing an interview. The new GM of the Pelicans uh, was doing an interview uh, last month. And he said that, you know, it's really hard in today's NBA when you've got to give rookie extensions to guys who've never played a meaningful basketball game. And he mentioned Devin Booker as one of them. Um, A perfect contrast to Devin Booker is, I don't know if anyone's ever really thought about comparing Donovan Mitchell to Devin Booker. Have you guys considered that ever? Nope. We're we're going to be doing it later, actually, when we break down the Suns backcourt. (laughs) It comes up every day on Twitter. Who's better, Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker? And the only reason Donovan Mitchell gets any credit is because he's been surrounded by a winning culture, and Devin Booker has not. So I'd like to see Devin Booker in that kind of culture for once. Then hopefully they've actually established it in the way they built this roster now. Okay, so a couple of things. If you are watching on the YouTube, do us a favor, hit that thumbs up button. It really does help with the YouTube algorithms. The second thing is a lot of listeners and supporters of the podcast uh, support the show with a monthly donation. You can do one, five, or $10. There's a support the show button in the show notes below if you are listening to the podcast or in the description below if you're watching on YouTube right now. And we did have a $10 supporter that I want to thank, Daniel Babb. And, uh, uh, do me a favor, though, in order for me to send you that sun swag that you get for being a $10 subscriber, I need your address. So go ahead and send me a message on Twitter at Sun Solar Panel, and I'll get that gear out to you. But thank you again so much to Daniel Babb. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. We appreciate you supporting the program. All right, so on today's show, we are going to break down. We're, we're starting a, what I think is going to be a six-part series where we can we compare the Suns roster versus the other teams in the West. We're going to start with the backcourt um, on this episode, and then we're going to do the second half of the Western Conference backcourt on the next full-length episode that we do next Saturday. Uh, but before we get into that, I do want to talk really briefly about Vegas over-unders, where the Westgate Sportsbook had the Suns at 29.5 wins. You had a couple others that had them at 27.5. Personally, I'm taking the overs all day on this. What do you guys think? 
Uh, the Westgate Sportsbook makes me take a little pause because I think I've always, I've said 30 to 35 is probably the window. So 29 and a half is right where I, if I were a betting man, I'd probably get a little nervous on uh, on betting the over because it's uh, it's a one game swing there. But at 27, I'd bet it all day. I'd take the over and run uh, and run with it. Like uh, no no brainer at 27. Yeah, I definitely would take the over on 27. Uh, John Schumann on NBA.com put up a power rankings this week and we're in the Western Conference alone. So it's 15 teams. He had the Suns 15th, but he had some really good reasons to put them at 15th. And the, the, two, of the, the two biggest reasons were that the Suns point differential per 100 possessions last season, which was like over nine points per 100 was more than three times worse than any other Western Conference team, any of the other 14 teams. And their 19 wins was 14 wins behind the next worst West team. So um, on one hand, I'll take the over uh, for sure. Absolutely. I think the Suns are going to exceed 27, even 29 wins next year. Uh, But I don't know that that's going to pull them out of the basement in the the West, even if they do that. So I think that's quite that's quite interesting. The Suns have so far to go to pass up any other West teams. I think Memphis is the team that would fall back if if anybody does. I could see the Suns finishing 14th in the West. I know. Oh, we're going to get. Oh, don't be so negative. I mean, you could finish 14th in the West and finish with 37 wins and it wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, uh, I yeah, <laughs> that's true. Memphis will probably take a step back. Um, I think people are putting a little bit too much. Now, I don't want to say I'm hating on the Pelicans because I think they'll be better than the Suns probably this next year. But I don't think they're like on the edge of playoff contention when none of those guys have ever played together before. So and Zion Williamson is the key to their season. He's a rookie. So I'm not really sure how far the Pelicans are going. It's possible the Suns will pass them up. But you're right. Memphis is the most likely Western team the Suns will pass up. And it is, yes, to all the big Suns fans, it's unfortunate we're talking about 14th versus 15th versus 13th in the West. But uh, going back to Tim's original question, the Suns will still get, I still go the over on 27 or 29 wins. So I do want to give a shout out to Coda Kid on Twitter who said that he woke up early just to watch the show. And uh, if you are listening to the uh, podcast version, not watching on YouTube, we actually record at 7 a.m. Arizona time. So that is waking up damn early just to watch the show. Welcome. Thanks for watching live. And uh, for all of you listening on the podcast, you are much smarter for uh, having slept in and just listened later. So we're going to break down the Suns' backcourt, but before we do so, we're doing this series on advanced stats, and today we want to break down win shares for you guys. So to make sure everybody understands a lot of these stats, we're going to start with win shares and kind of talk about how that relates to the Suns. So win shares basically attempts to divvy up uh, the credit of a team's total wins throughout that season um, to the players individually. 
So if a team won 40 games, the total win shares for the players on that roster, in theory, would uh, equate out to 40 wins. Um, there's some really advanced calculations that go into this where they take um, offense and uh, defense um, and they, they put those together. Um, for example, the, they'll calculate the marginal offense uh, that is equal to points uh, produced times league points per possession um, times offensive points by that player. Um, they'll also take into account things like team turnovers and a player's share of those. And you get all of that together and that will help equal uh, the win shares for a player. So last year for the Suns, Aiton led the Suns with a 5.8. Holmes had 4.3. Devin Booker was at 3.5. And Mikhail Bridges was 2.9. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I was looking at that too. And it it is interesting that DeAndre Aiton leads the team in win shares even when uh, someone like a Devin Booker played slightly more minutes than than Aiton did. And... Um, but it's just about the, the kind of stats that are counted toward win shares, I guess. And DeAndre Aiden is, um, was racking up more of those. Do we, do we know why Aiden uh, outpacing no, by almost two or twice? Because there's like, there's like seven or eight different really complicated mathematical equations that go into it. <laughs> so I'm not sure exactly what it was. Part of it was probably the counting stats. Um, I, I think that there were some advanced stats that actually showed that DeAndre Ayton was a better uh, defender than probably the eye test showed. Well, how how much does do we not know how much rebounding plays into this? Is it is it really a secret sauce where they've got this this equation locked down so you don't know because. That seems a little ridiculous to me if if we don't know what's really well digging it. a little bit digging a little bit into it um uh Devin Booker had 3.3 offensive win shares which is when you're only using the offensive counting stats stats and only a point 0 0.3 defensive win shares this is one of those stats that does not go negative by the way so you you're zero or greater than zero Oh, no, never mind. It does go a little negative because Josh Jackson was minus on both. <laughs> jo yeah, Josh can... Jackson breaks any scale regardless yeah, of okay, if he can okay. go negative or but, not. Um, anyway, uh, you can have offensive win shares and defensive win shares, and those add up. And Devin Booker gets almost no defensive win shares because he doesn't do any defensive counting stats. He doesn't, do, he doesn't get steals. And a, and a player that gets steals – will get more defensive win shares. So that kind of counts against him. But still, even uh, Aiton had more offensive win shares than Booker. So, okay. so what we're saying, uh, is, this is another imperfect uh, advanced metric. More advanced than a box score, but still imperfect when you look at it uh, in, in on an island, when, when you don't look at it in totality with other things. There's no one advanced stat that is perfect or else everyone would just use that one. This one is also so the Suns example, for example, last season didn't win very many games. So a player like Devin Booker is going to have a much lower win share than somebody like a uh, De'Aaron Fox would. Right. Yeah. No, I was going to say that as well. But within the Suns, um, it is interesting that that DeAndre Aiden outpaced everybody else on the team. Um, and yes, you're right, Tim. Absolutely. Wind shares are just a 
factor of your own team. And when you're 14 wins behind the next best West team and you only have 19 and nobody and no other team won fewer than 33 in the West, there's a lot fewer win shares to go around and you don't get more win shares than your team won. So yeah, absolutely. Um, the whole team is being held back in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You hear it from us all the time to follow us on Twitter at Sun Solar Panel. Here's the thing. You can also follow us individually. I promise we are nice people. You can find Greg Esposito on Twitter at Espo. You can find Dave King on Twitter at DaveKingNBA. And you can find myself, Tim Tompkins, on Twitter at RadioTimNBA. Give us a follow. Say hello. We'd love to hear from you. So we're going to be stacking up the Suns backcourt versus the West. In this episode, we are going to compare them to the Mavericks, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Wolves, the Lakers, the Kings, uh, and the Clippers. And so this is the projected starting lineup backcourts right now per ESPN of these teams. So let's talk about where the Suns are. I think we can probably all agree that Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio are going to be the, the Suns' starting backcourt, correct? Unless there's some random injury we don't know about, yes. Yep, okay. So Devin Booker last season, uh, 26.6 points, uh, 0.9 seals, 6.8 assists, 3.5 wind shares, 1.6 VORP. These are the stats I'm going to be comparing for all of them. So I took uh, uh, some counting stats as well as some advanced stats, and I'm going to be putting that together as a part of the discussion. Ricky Rubio last season, 12.7 points, 1.3 steals, 6.1 assists, wind shares, 3.7, VORP 0.9. If you were to calculate the total counting stats for those two players, that's 54.4. Advanced stats for those players, again, wind shares and VORP, that is 9.7. All right, so let us start out with the Mavericks, everybody's favorite team, the projected starting backcourt for the Mavericks, DeLon Wright and Luka Doncic. I think the Suns are better uh, just because uh, of DeLon Wright being the starting point guard there. Uh, Luka is obviously a very talented player. Going into that uh, second season, you always worry about that sophomore slump. So I think this is a a pretty easy one in saying that the Suns have the advantage here, both in experience and in talent. Yeah, I definitely would put the Suns above Dallas uh, for sure, because uh, partly because of what what Greg said, and then you've got basically Luca versus Devin Booker, and well, uh, someone one person's eye test may put um you know make may, may make a choice of one over the other i think statistically and across the board um that's even still a wash so it really is ricky ruby over ricky rubio over delon Wright, and i really think it's rubio's a better point guard okay yeah. so let's break down the the counting stats for these guys and the advanced stats delon Wright, 12.2 points 1.6 steals five Assists, two win shares and 0.8 VORP. Luka Doncic last season, 21.2 points, 1.1 steals, six assists, 4.9 win shares, 3.6 VORP. Counting stats in totality, 47.4 for the Mavericks versus 54.4 for the Suns. Advance, 11.3. That goes to the Mavericks uh, over the Suns at 9.7. And who is going to guard who? Does that matter? I mean, I mean, look at it. It's, it's... Oh yeah, no, they're they're all, they're going to be hiding Booker on the other team's worst 
offensive player. Um, it may not even have to be a backcourt player. I mean, back in the day, uh, when you got some better, because you've got you've got Rubio who can defend. He's tall and he can defend multiple positions. Plus, you've got Ubre and and uh, and Mikel Bridges on the wing as well. So I think Booker could be put on even a small forward next year potentially, depending on the matchups. So I would, in this case, I'd put Booker on DeLon Wright. I agree there. I mean, you're not going to put Booker on Luka Doncic unless you you want both of them to try to go uh, for 40 apiece and outshine each other. I mean, that's the that's the only yeah. reason you put Booker on uh, on Doncic. Well, I guess what I'm saying is I'd rather I'd actually see probably Ubre and Bridges taking turns on Doncic's all game and Booker not guarding either of those guys. Probably. I, I think that's probably the the smart money there. Um, okay, so I think we all agree that the Suns' backcourt is going to be better than the Mavericks. So let's look at the Pelicans. The Pelicans projected starting backcourt. You have Drew Holiday and J.J. Redick. Drew Holiday last season, 21.2 points, 1.6 steals, 7.7 assists, 5.4 win shares, 2.9 VORP. J.J. Redick last season, 18 points, 0.4 steals, 2.7 assists, 5.9 win shares, 0.8 VORP. The counting stats go to the Pelicans, and the advanced stats go to the Pelicans as well. well and the eye test goes to the Pelicans. I mean— Drew Holiday's an all-star, uh, and J.J. Redick is a one of the most serious three-point threats we've seen uh, in the game. And he, you saw the huge impact he had in Philly. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that New Orleans is a much better backcourt. I won't say much, but a better backcourt. Yeah, I, I think I, over the course of the season, I, I think New Orleans uh, – starting backcourt is a little bit better than the Suns, but you know what? In any one game, I'll bet you in their matchups, the Suns will outplay the New Orleans backcourt. Yeah, I kind of, I don't, I I agree with Dave. I kind of don't agree. I think that Devin Booker is better than Drew Holiday, and I think that J.J. Redick, while we think that Devin Booker isn't a good defender, in all comparison, J.J. Yeah. Redick certainly isn't a good defender. Uh, he also, one thing we aren't taking into account here is whether or not somebody can create their own shot, can make other players better. For the Suns, both of their uh, starting backcourt players do. For the Pelicans, only one of those guys do. I mean, J.J. Redick is amazing coming off off-ball screens, uh, but he's not making anyone better except for the bigs because he spaces the floor. I I. I just disagree there. I mean, and this goes back to what Dave originally brought up. We're talking about uh, guys that, that bring intangibles as well, and J.J. Redick is one of those guys that's been around, has the experience, and is going to make his team better simply because of that as well. I just I think New Orleans is a no-brainer, better backcourt uh, than the Suns. I went through and I did every team last night in the way I think of it. it think if they're they're better or equal or or worse than the sun's backcourt and new orleans was one of uh, a handful that were solidly in the better uh for me i just i think that that is a group that will will just play better than, than the sun's backcourt this year i like uh you know we all would have were begging to get drew holiday uh, in a sun's mm-hmm. uniform i think he's better uh, than ricky rubio uh, if we're if we're looking straight at point guard, and yes, Devin Booker is is a better volume scorer than JJ Redick. Uh, oh, is obviously don't do younger, that. Is obviously volume scorer. Is obviously a better passer than than JJ Redick. But I I think there's intangibles there, and I think JJ Redick, uh, it 
straight up is, is probably right now the better three-point shooter uh, in a vacuum. I just I like New Orleans backcourt more than the Suns. Would I trade it for the long term with with Phoenix? No. But if we're looking at simply this year, is New Orleans a better backcourt than Phoenix at this point? Yes, they are. Okay, Dave, you are the you are the tiebreaker, buddy. Okay, if if given the opportunity to do a, a, one, a two for two trade, I would not trade Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio this season to do a one year trade. I would not trade those two to have Drew Holiday and JJ Redick. I just wouldn't. I think JJ Redick is 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 right toward them. He's thirty four years old. Very few NBA players actually continue to play very well into their mid to late thirties. I think JJ Redick is going to have a fall off year. Um, people are going to see the way he plays. They're going to give him more credit for the way he plays than he actually will play this year. Uh, Drew Holiday, I love Drew Holiday. The dude should be an all-star. He's on the cusp of being an all-star for sure. But I'd rather have Devin Booker over him, and I'd rather have Ricky Rubio over Redick. So, um, <clears throat> and I think in one-on-one matchups, or two-on-two matchups, basically, in their in their matchups that they're going to have this year will be either three or four games against each other. The Suns' backcourt will outplay the Pelicans' backcourt. Look, okay, so eight, yeah, yeah, hold on. I, I need to vote on this just because we have to go down this list, and I need to compile a list of the who the Suns will be, uh, their backcourt will be better or worse than. So, Dave, you are the deciding factor. Suns' backcourt better than the Pelicans this season, yes or no? I'll, I'll go with yes. Okay. And Dave, Dave Sorry, you buddy. make you make a good point in terms of Reddick's age. And uh, Steve Holler on the chat says, "Well, Reddick's only a three-point shooter." Well, I was taking into account the offense he's going to play in it with uh, with Alvin Gentry there, and the fact that he and Dave Griffin have said they want player to break next speed. So, a three-point shooter, a guy that maybe even qualifies as only a three-point shooter, is still going to thrive in that kind of an offense. So I'll, st- I'll stick with what I said, but I, I respect where you guys are coming from uh, in terms of that. And for the future, it's definitely the Suns' backcourt. All right, so the Grizzlies coming up next. This should be a pretty short discussion. Uh, ESPN projected starters for the Grizzlies. John Morant, I don't have any stats on him because, well, he hasn't played in the league yet. And <laughs> Dylan, Book slide, Dylan Brooks sliding in at the Dylan shooting Brooks. guard position. You guys might remember him from uh, the trade that uh, didn't happen last <laughs> year. Anyway, uh, he averaged 7.5 points, 0.6 steals, 0.9 assists, 0 win shares, and a negative 0.3 VORP, which puts him just under... Um, uh, replacement player level. Will the Suns' backcourt, unless you want to dive deep into the Grizzlies' backcourt, be nope. better or worse? Suns better. Oh, and in a heartbeat. I mean, uh, yeah, it, we can move on. Uh, yeah, there's not even a dis- <laughs> there's not even a discussion here. If the Suns' backcourt yeah. isn't better than that, we've got major problems. I, I spent so little time prepping that part. So yeah. All right, the Wolves, uh, and this one's interesting. Uh, I think in this one, you do need to value upside a little bit in this, but maybe I'm just a little bit higher on Josh Akogi than other people. The Wolves' projected starting backcourt is Jeff Teague and Josh Akogi. Last season, Jeff Teague, 12.1 points, one steal, 8.2 assists, 2.2 win shares, negative 0.1 VORP, which again puts him just above replacement player level. Josh Okoge last year, last season, I should say, 7.7 points, 1.2 steals, 1.2 assists, 
1.2 wind shears with a 0.1 VORP. The counting stats clearly go to the Suns, and the advanced stats clearly go to the Suns as well. Uh, again, the eye test clearly goes to the Suns. Uh, you'd much rather have, well, I'd much rather have Ricky Rubio over Jeff Teague, and I think it's obvious that everybody would much rather have Booker there. So I, I think this is another another easy one. I take the Suns backcourt in a heartbeat here. Yeah, I think even Wolves fans would take the Suns' backcourt. Uh, yeah, and you know what, Josh Okogie though he is uh, he is really good. I don't know if you guys have really had a chance to like watch make his a game. shot, dude. Yeah, I like I like his game. I like his game a lot. I can't uh, I can't hate on the guy. I think they got a they got a, a, a real nice player. Um, if he can start making year. shots, he'll be a very nice player. If he cannot make shots, he'll be a bench player. Well, and, and again, in a vacuum. I don't care what his potential in the future is. Right now, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't take him over either of the guys in the Suns' backcourt. So, all right. Well, then, uh, moving on. We both agree. Lakers. This one's fun. The projected starting backcourt, and we've heard this multiple times, is actually going to be LeBron James starting at the point with Danny Green starting at the two. LeBron James last season, 27.4 points, 1.3 steals, 8.3 assists, 7.2 win shares, 4.9 VORP. Danny Green, 10.3 points, 0.9 steals, 1.6 assists, 5.9 win shares, 2.7 VORP. Counting stats uh, actually go to the Suns, where the advanced stats really go to the Lakers on this one. Well, look, if you're starting the one of the top three players in the world as your point guard, whether you're starting him out of position or not, of course you're going to wind up having the 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 better backcourt and and Danny Green is a great defender as well with championship experience now uh, so I think it goes to the Lakers but I don't think it's as big of a gap as some people might might assume but it it goes to the Lakers there's no argument here to say that the Suns have the better backcourt if you're counting LeBron as part of the Lakers backcourt well, he is. And well, who guards who, too? Because this is a the, the projected starting lineup for the Lakers is a problem for the Suns. LeBron James at the one, Danny Green at the two, Kyle Kuzma at the three, Anthony Davis at the four, and DeMarcus Cousins at the five. Uh, who who guards who? Booker on Boogie. That's your best bet. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You can't hide well, Devin the, Booker. Who guards who? I think, I think what you do is you go through uh, a matchup lineup for – uh, the Suns, and so you know, you might put Booker on a Kyle Kuzma, uh, and just see what happens, or Danny Green, and say, look, if those guys beat me, that's fine. Uh, but I'd put I'd I'd put like an Ubre and a Bridges, guys like that, on um, on LeBron. Um, you're obviously going to have to put, you know, Dario Sharj on Anthony Davis and pray, um, and then DeAndre Ayton and Demarcus Cousins will do the Super uh, Spider Man meme, looking at each other on. I can I can put up my counting stats, but uh, it's the other guys who are going to actually win this game for us, at least at least at this point in Aiden's career. Yeah, hey, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, the Suns' best bet is to sw- is just to go with a a, a super uh, wing lineup where you can switch everything and and hope your team defense is better than the individual defense against uh, a group like the Lakers because you're not going to win those individual matchups in any way. So. So, do you guys think? And yeah, that that Matt, the whole team's going to be a matchup problem next next year for the Suns. Uh, Suns backcourt better or worse than the Lakers? I'm going worth the worst on that one. Worse, definitely. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking LeBron James and Danny Green, 
LeBron just trumps everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a heart yeah. in a heartbeat, you'd trade backcourts. You wouldn't even think about it, you know. And we know James Jones would do it uh, without <laughs> thinking about it because he'd get a reunite right. with LeBron. So. See, uh, I I don't know. You you do it long term. I I think you do think about that one. But we're um, not talking long term. We're talking right, for in one. a second. So. Uh, I do want to point out that Dave is wearing a Sun Solar Panel shirt, and if you guys are interested in picking one of those up, they fit really well. We like them a lot. Uh, SunsShirts.com. I still need to get the Frank and Baines shirt that John Bloom. Frank and uh, Baines. Uh, that, Frank and Baines. Uh, that our boy John Bloom wants uh, badly. I have to have that. <laughs> have to have that designed for him. So. Well, and you got to do you got to do the uh, the silhouette at least of. Of that, of the guy from from that movie, Frankenbeans, <laughs> yelling that on the show right. itself. So I, I think that this next one is a bit more fun and will garner a bit more discussion. Let's talk about the Sacramento Kings. Projected starting backcourt for the Kings is De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hield. <laughs> Darren Fox, 17.3 points, 1.6 assists, 7.3 steals. He had 5.6 wind shares and two VORP. But he healed last season at 20.7 points, 0.7 steals, 2.5 assists, 5.9 wind shares, 2.1 VORP. Counting stats go to the Suns. Advanced stats go to the Kings. And I think it's about right as I had this one as the very few, one of the very few pushes in the league. I think these are pretty equally matched up backcourts if we're looking in a vacuum. Obviously, the Kings long term you probably take because De'Aaron Fox has uh, much more uh, of his career left than Ricky Rubio, but right now in the moment, I think it's pretty uh, pretty dead even between these two backcourts, and I'm actually quite excited to watch these uh, these matchups between uh, between these groups this year. Yeah, I'm Greg you ignorant slut. Um, yes, De'Aaron Fox has a much longer and potentially more exciting career ahead of him than Ricky Rubio. But to say that he would obviously take this backcourt, so you'd rather have Buddy Heald than Darren, uh, than Devin Booker? I don't think so. In, I'd in much total- rather have... In totality? Shh, shh, yeah, I'd rather have Devin Booker and then give the Suns a chance to get, uh, you know, replace Ricky Rubio with an even better guy down the road for sure. I think the Kings are stuck with, not stuck, but are, are settled into Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox for the long haul. Whereas I, I'd, much, I'd just rather have Devin Booker. He is the best player among those four, and it's not even close. Oh, okay, and, they have they have a long-term answer at point guard, and they have Devin Booker, Light, and Buddy Heald there. I'm just no, saying. No, no, no. Buddy Heald is never, ever going to be Devin Booker Light. Just because he can shoot the rock doesn't mean he's anything else. He's like he's more he's more J.J. Redick Light. Uh, Buddy Heald is so no. Buddy Heald doesn't do anything but the shooting. I mean, he averages he averages to two and a half assists. And he doesn't do a whole lot of anything else on the court besides shoot. Dev- so Devin- he's basically he's basically JJ Redick. So you'd rather have one guarantee in Devin Booker than your full picture that has a chance to grow to get. My my point is the Suns have no long-term solution at point guard yet, uh, and Q people saying uh, uh, Jalen LeCue uh, is the answer in the chat, but at the, right now I'm just saying if I'm looking at this and somebody goes mm-hmm. five years from now, would, would you rather have uh, a backcourt nope. that you can project or, or a total blank. I think I'd rather have the Kings by a slight bit right now. 
Then why well, didn't I, you take the Suns backcourt over the Lakers? Because you want LeBron James, but you really you want Danny Green long term? Did you did you not listen? I'm I'm saying for this year this is a push, and I I think these backcourts are equal. I said if we were talking long term, and we were talking projecting five years today. out. That's not what we're doing today. We're doing this year. this year. I know, which right. I said was a push. So, so listen, I, I uh, also <laughs> disagree with a couple of those points, though, Greg. Uh, one is that you say that we don't have the long-term answer for point guard. While I agree that Ricky Rubio is not 22 years old, that Ricky Rubio is the long-term answer, and he's going to be here for at least three. And then once uh, that contract is up, it's not like he's an old man at that point either. So he could sign another two or three. So we could be looking at, at a five-year uh, window of Ricky Rubio as a starting point guard, and there is an argument to be said there that that is a long-term answer. Of course, that depends on your operational definition of long-term. Second, Ricky Rubio makes his teammates better, which is the number one quality for me in a point guard, and I would take that over De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox is a really nice player, but really where De'Aaron Fox wins is in transition. That's really valuable. It, it, it does a lot for a team, but that doesn't make the players around him better. I think you're you're discounting the number of miles that are on Ricky Rubio based on he started playing at a very young age professionally mm-hmm. overseas. Uh, he's played a lot internationally, and then you put the NBA minutes on it as well. I'm not sure how how long that runway is after these three years, but I, I can understand the optimism, uh, you're, the optimism there. And and you're right, De'Aaron Fox is is is, is limited. In necessarily how much he makes makes his uh, his teammates better, but I, so right now this year I still think it's a push. Future is debatable, I guess. Okay, well, Dave, I'm going with the Suns are a better backcourt. That makes you the tiebreaker. Let me just put in for this coming year. Greg says it's kind of a push, and he'd give Sacramento maybe the nod uh, because Greg is an ass. I did not um, say but, I gave Sacramento the nod. This no, we're we're calling Dead Greg even. giving Sacramento the nod. Um, so I'm the tiebreaker. Tim already said it. Um, look, here's the thing: Buddy Heald had a career year last year as far as shooting, and De'Aaron Fox had a career year as far as shooting. Yeah, second year, I get it, but but still. De'Aaron Fox made 37% of his threes, and he had barely taken any threes the year before. I'm going to say that by December, these guys are going to settle a little bit back down to earth, and we're and they're going to be even talking about maybe Bogdan Bogdanovich starting in their backcourt, or even uh, you know seeing one of their one of their veterans, uh, Corey Joseph, they signed. Um, I wouldn't. So I am not convinced that that these guys are are going to improve even further next year because they already exceeded their expectations last year. Um, so I think by December, the Suns are going to be the clear winner this year. So I'm calling Suns. Suns. All right. And then uh, we are getting, well, I mean, I'm also unusually high on Ricky Rubio. Uh, no joke. This guy has been one of my favorite players for years. I'm just, even if the Suns are trash, I'm really excited to watch uh, 80 games of, of Ricky oh, Rubio. I'm, I am too. I think Ricky Rubio is going to be fantastic for this roster. It's going to be a lot of fun, fun to watch. I just, I like, I took I like little, what the Kings have done. I took a little crap for this on uh, on social media, but I said um, someone was saying De'Anthony Melton's a huge loss because he was a very, very good passer. And I'm like, ah, uh, uh, if you count two-handed chess passes, good passes within the offense around the wing, then yeah, maybe. What? Um, but Ricky Rubio is going to remind people what passing is all about when they start watching Ricky Rubio at point guard. Hold on, wasn't... 
wasn't Melton the guy that Devin Booker said, get him the hell out of here? Where's Ellie to, <laughs> yeah. at one point last season? Yeah, like, but, he's, but he's apparently a very, very, like, wow passer. <laughs> revisionist think, uh, history. Uh, I, I've heard Devin Booker does that a lot. Um, <laughs> what? He says, get these guys out of here? Have you seen the guys he's played with? <laughs> I'd ask, yeah, I'd ask, just get them all off the court. I'll go one on five, like uh, two on five, me and Aiden. Like that's, I don't blame him. I'd be pretty pissed off too. Okay. So the last thing we're going to look at today, and then we're going to get into mailbag. So if you guys have mailbag questions, put them in the chat. Uh, we're going to spend about 10 minutes on that. The last thing we're going to get into is the Clippers, the projected starting backcourt from the Clippers or from the Clippers from uh, ESPN is Pat Beverly and Paul George. Pat Beverly last season, 12.2 points, 1.7 steals, 2.9 assists, 4.8 win shares, 2.3 VORP. Paul George, 28 points, 2.2 steals, 4.1 assists, 11.9 win shares, and 5.3 VORP. The counting stats go to the Suns, whereas the advanced stats clearly, clearly, clearly go to the Clippers on this one. I, I think this depends because – so we think Paul George is going to be the starting shooting guard there since I, Kawhi will be the starting small forward. So – if we're counting Paul George as, as the shooting guard here, who's their power forward? Sorry, I'm being ignorant. Uh, Harold. Harold. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so he's not going to play center. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I look at it, and if we're if we're gonna if that it, we'll just go off of what ESPN saying here, I think it's a slight edge to the Clippers because you look at it and. I mean, as much as we love Booker, you probably still at this point would want to have Paul George uh, over Devin Booker based on defense. And then what I you I look at Patrick Beverly and you get defense and three point shooting. Now Ricky Rubio isn't going to be a three point shooter. Uh, his defense he he's better than what the Suns have had, but Patrick Beverly is a disruptor in that way. I think I give the slight edge to the Clippers, but I. It, I wouldn't be shocked if, if midway through the season, the Suns, uh, the Suns had the advantage. But right now, I'm going to go Clippers. Yeah, I actually would go Clippers all, all season for the Defense. whole season. I think you, uh, Paul George was close to MVP caliber last year for most of the year until he really hurt his shoulder. And uh, Patrick Beverly, I've always loved his game as far as a disruptor. Um, neither of them is a great distributor, so they're, they're, it's not going to be so easy for them to generate offense. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of weird-looking offense, I think, from the Clippers because Kawhi Leonard's not really a distributor in the in that sense either. All all those guys can create their shots or catch and shoot in in Pat Bev's case, but um, it'll be interesting to watch. The Clippers are going to win a ton of games. They're a very good backcourt. I would take definitely for this next year, Paul George and Pat Bev, if it was only for a year, and then I could switch back a year later. Yeah, I think my question is is Patrick Beverly obviously more than Paul George. Paul George, to your point, was an MVP candidate last year in Oklahoma City before the injury. But is Patrick – and I think the gap between him and Devin Booker on the defensive side is obviously huge, but offensively – not big. It, it it comes down to Patrick Beverly for me, and I could see where he he may not be 
as huge of a factor throughout the year, depending on uh, if that three-point shooting slides for some reason, or uh, or there's just other factors where I could see a Rubio Booker backcourt becoming slightly more appealing. But right now, it, it is definitely the Clippers. So. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Clippers as well, just from a defensive standpoint. I think that that's a nightmare, yeah. and um, defense yeah. does matter. Paul George actually could make an all-defensive team if he hasn't already. I think he might have. Um, so it absolutely, plus Pat Bev. So they definitely get the win there. Uh, so let's see. The Suns, we have uh, them better than, and again, we're going to finish the Western Conference up next Saturday. We have the Suns' backcourt better than the Mavericks, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Wolves, and the Kings. And we have them worse than the Lakers and the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, uh, even even giving some of our homer tendencies, I think that's a pretty good list. I think the Suns' backcourt is pretty good. I did an overall, and I know you're, we're going to do these in sections, Tim. I get that, and, and only a few teams at a time. But I did do, do an overall comp against what I thought were the top backcourts in the league um, across both conferences. And the Suns are top five in just about every offensive category, and um, they're, in, they're mid-pack in, in the other categories. So I, I think the Suns, that's a pretty good backcourt, and we should not discount the fact that the Suns have a pretty good backcourt coming into next year. Yeah, I actually think when we run through this, and, and then we're going to do the front court after this is over, that uh, we're going to be pleasantly surprised with how the Suns um, match up uh, across the West. If we have time, you know, it's a long off season. Maybe we'll do the East too. I don't really know yet. So now let's go ahead and do some mailbag questions. These are a mix of ones that we got from podcast listeners via Twitter. And then people that are listening right now or watching, I should say on the YouTube chat. So if you want to get those in, we'll go ahead and try and answer some of those. The first one is from Steve Holler on the YouTube chat. He says, Espo, do you think uh, Rubio improves this year over what he played like in Utah's system the last couple of seasons? Yeah, I think that he uh, will look uh, w- look better because I think they're going to tailor the offense towards uh, his strengths, and I think he's going to be a great distributor for Devin Booker, who uh, will will help him look better. DeAndre Ayton is going to be spectacular with Ricky Rubio, especially on those pick and rolls. I have a lot of excitement for what Ricky Rubio will be able to do in this offense. I don't think there's any doubt he's going to look better than he did uh, in uh, over in Utah. Yeah, last time Monty Williams was a head coach, uh, he made Chris. He helped Chris Paul look like an all-star. Um, and, of course, Chris Paul's talent had a lot to do with that, but Monty Williams helped that along. And so he knows how to tailor offenses. And he's always been a better offensive coach than defensive coach, even though he came in with a defensive reputation off of that Portland staff before he went to New Orleans. Um, So I I do think that Ricky Rubio is going to look a lot better this next season than he did in Utah, which was a very much catch and pass or catch and shoot. And so um, very egalitarian. And so I think he will. Yes, he'll look much more like the point guard people thought he was back in Minnesota. All right. And then this one comes from Jewel, J-E-W-E-L-L, over on Twitter. Jewel? Said, could be just Jewel, right? I mean, it could be. I, it's, I don't really... it's Tim. Of course he thinks it's Jewel. <laughs> <laughs> Is this from Krypton? Is Jewel from Krypton? <laughs> Jewel. And Kal-El. Kal-El's leaning in. Uh, Jor-El, yeah. 
All right, so he says, will Tyler Johnson and Aaron Baines be sons by the All-Star break? Ooh. Um, good question. Um, if the Suns are doing well, wow, that is a really good question because Tyler Johnson is going to be very much liked as a guy off the bench who can come in to back up either Booker or Rubio uh, effectively. And he's a career 37% three point shooter. He is, um, he obviously can run the offense and, and get very few turnovers when he's doing it. He did pretty well for the Suns this past spring. So he's going to be seen as an important player. If the Suns can upgrade to a much better player then yes. If the Suns, he would not be traded for a dump or released. I, I can almost guarantee that unless there's a major injury issue, going on with Tyler Johnson. He's only going to be 27 next year, so he's not going to get suddenly old. Um, so, no, uh, Tyler Johnson, unless it's a major upgrade for a player, Tyler Johnson will still be on the team after the All-Star break. Aaron Baines, you could make a case that he'll <clears throat> excuse me, he'll pull a Tyler, uh, Tyson Chandler and say, uh, I don't really feel like playing for this team. But I actually, do, I actually don't see that happening. I see Monty Williams really getting Aaron Baines to dial in and focus this next year. Um, and then we'll just see how the fall goes. And if the Suns are competitive and fun, Baines might last out the year. If the Suns are in the dumps again and looking at a top four pick, then maybe they'll be nice and either release Baines or trade him. So that's a really good question we cannot answer right now. I think right now they expect both guys to be there all season unless there's a major upgrade. They're both expiring contracts. So Baines might be included also, like a Tyler Johnson, in with a big contract player that another team wants to get rid of. Yeah, a couple of factors it depends on. Is there a big, uh, a, a quote-unquote star, particularly at power forward, that becomes available? If so, I think Baines and, and Tyler Johnson are likely gone if the Suns are, are part of that deal. Uh, if the Suns are, are, are losing, which we expect they're not going to be likely in the playoff picture, uh, I think Aaron Baines is the more likely candidate to to be gone. That they do him a solid and uh, and trade or release him, uh, buy him out to let him go play for a contender by by the end of the year. Uh, but I think Tyler Johnson, if nothing uh, major opens up, they keep him because he fits the roster and. Uh, he winds up giving you a lot of cap space uh, going into next offseason. So I think Tyler Johnson likely here. Aaron Baines is a big if. I, I have a sneaking suspicion, and this isn't based off of a ton, but I have a sneaking suspicion that the, the Suns uh, targeted Aaron Baines and they want to keep him around. Um, yeah, I, uh, I agree. Past this season. But does he want to be here? And if he doesn't, you know they're not going to – keep somebody that that really doesn't want to be here because they believe culture is the end-all be-all so that's true uh this question comes from steve white in the youtube chat which means that espo has this really cool ability to get it up on the screen now which is super awesome yep i he can says, get it up so. <laughs> what on the screen it. when do you think that the suns will get a christmas day game and uh i gotta tell you when i saw that the pelicans had one this year I was a little bit pissed off. I thought, you know what? The Suns didn't get one last year with Aiton. Yeah, but the Pelicans uh, had Anthony Davis leave. There's there's different factors here as to why uh, as to why the Pelicans got a Christmas Day game. And honestly, 
I, as somebody who worked for a team, I sure as hell never wanted to see the sun show up on a Christmas Day schedule because that meant my ass had to be schlepped down to the arena and work for 12 hours on a holiday that the rest of the company got and everybody else got. People forget about that factor about Christmas Day games, that people actually have to work that stuff. Uh, but I think, uh, I think it's going to be a while before we see a Christmas Day game. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's get another one from Twitter. And this one uh, is actually more directed at us. This one comes from Cody James. He says, is covering the Suns any of your full-time jobs and how many hours a week does it take to make and edit the podcast uh, to keep it up? No, it's not my full-time job. It once was, and now I work in marketing. So fun times. And it's never been a full-time job for me. I've got a regular full-time job. I just do this nights and weekends. And then Tim, Tim can comment on the making and editing and producing the podcasts. Yeah, that uh, that takes a while. So editing the podcast, a lot of it depends on how many times Dave clears his throat. And that's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because taking all of those out of the podcast can take me a little <laughs> a little over two hours. So let's see, we spent about an hour and a half recording. I probably spent about two and a half hours editing and getting everything up. And then probably about an hour and a half to two hours uh, a week prepping for the show as well. Damn. I'm sorry. I'm the reason it takes you two and a half hours to get it up. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh in the bedroom as well as on the podcast. <laughs> well, You're just stuck in my head. Dave, well, looking at you, I can never, uh, make that happen. So, Hey, I got, <laughs> I'm going to throw one up here on the screen, Tim. Uh, this is from saints, uh, one, four, six, Tim, did I miss the part of the show where you switch out eyeglasses between, uh, t talking segments? No, and you know what? I was actually going to do that on today's episode, but I know that we have this encoding software thing, so I wasn't sure if uh, if it was actually going to take away um, the video feed of me when I wasn't talking. And now that I know it does, as long as Dave went last, that I will do that on the next episode. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> couldn't resist. Uh, couldn't resist bringing that up. Hey, uh, you want another one here? Uh, since I'm. Let's go to our friend uh, Jim, our buddy, and uh, we got another one here. He wants to know any news about what Aiton is doing this off season. I don't think I've heard anything. So at one point, we're going to have to um, uh, talk about what could go wrong this season for the Suns, and any uh, if either. Devin Booker or DeAndre Ayton do not show up in prime shape, prime physical condition for training camp. That could help derail the season. We know to the Suns last year when Devin Booker came in and suddenly he was recovering from a hand surgery. Um, I don't know that there's anything physically wrong with Ayton. I'm not saying that at all. Um, he's having, he's been having a good time from what we can see on Instagram. I'm not sure how hard he's working out this summer. He, if he comes in jacked and ready to go, I'm, I'll be excited, but we've heard zero. Look, I don't. I couldn't care less if we're seeing 
mixtapes drop of him playing basketball against guys not playing defense or or him showing off on Instagram that he's lifting weights. Like I don't I don't care that we've heard radio silence about what he's doing, right? As long as but when he shows up at training camp to Dave's point, he doesn't look like the Pillsbury Doughboy or Zion's body at this point. And, you know, like I I'm all right with that. He just do your thing live your life. I don't need to hear everything you're doing in the off season. I mean, we used to hear about sons, big men, like, uh, uh, like Alex Len working out with Hakeem, you know, it's like, great. They did that. And it didn't do anything like just, just show up ready. I don't care if I see or hear about it in the off season, to be honest. All right. So let's take one last question before we end this. And this is from Blake Martin on Twitter. He said, it would love to hear a bit more about why the national media rated the offseason so poorly when all the Suns truly did was surround Booker and Aiden with quality rotation players. Having at least two NBA caliber players at each position hasn't been a reality for the Suns in years. Um, I, I don't know. The, the simple answer is it's easy. It's easy to hate on a team that hasn't won that has made questionable decisions in the past so you feel safe in taking a, a shot at them or saying they had a bad off season because in all likelihood uh, you're not going to you're not going to get raked over the coals for having that take even if it turns out to be wrong the only people that will are Suns fans so so overall it's a safe thing for the national media and you got to remember if they're, they're if they're covering 30 teams in the NBA or they're covering multiple sports, they don't have time to really watch the Suns, so they don't understand uh, Devin Booker the player or DeAndre Ayton's potential fully. They just get the 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 once over glossed look at at things, and so they don't have the full picture as well. Yeah, the uh, John Schumann of NBA.com does everything by the numbers, and uh, he. He basically laid it out. I mentioned earlier in the podcast today, he basically laid it out. The Suns have a long way to go to not be the worst in the West, a long way to go. So while they may have made progress and everybody agrees that the Suns made progress, um, it's still so far behind the rest of the West that it's, it's going to be difficult to imagine them getting that much better. That's why the offseason is being rated low. Um, I think uh, the Suns just have to prove it. doesn't mean they won't win more games um, than people expect. It just means the Suns have to prove it. Yep. And on that note, so we will finish up the Western Conference comparing backcourts uh, next week. If you want to join us for our midweek episodes, though, every Wednesday at 7 o'clock Arizona time, you can catch us here on the YouTube for that. If you guys want to go ahead and get a solar panel shirt, we have those available. That's the one that uh, Dave is wearing right now. You can go to sunsshirts.com. And if you do want to support the show, you feel like you get something out of it, a $1 a month uh, donation. If you're on YouTube, you can look at the uh, – description below if you're listening to the podcast um look in the show notes and the link is there just hit the support the show button um but we really do appreciate everybody that woke up so early uh for the yep. youtube and everybody that in, guys. takes an hour out of their day to uh, or out of their week i should say to listen to the podcast as well thanks everybody we appreciate you and we'll uh, we'll talk to you on wednesday Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.